0: So you know what began as a one-off message has turned into a three-parter. Sandwiched around Mike's teaching of "Go and do likewise" last week. Now, if you were going to look at the, just the sermon titles, you would say, "Man, those things just don't fit together." But actually, they do. You know, Mike's uh, pro-life message. You know, even beyond the, the pro-life message of a. Uh, against abortion, there was a pro-life message in there of how all our life, everything, every aspect of our life is to be pro-life. The life of Jesus Christ. The life of the gospel. And how that influences the way that we, you know, how we follow Him. How we walk after Him. How we hunger after Him. That it should, it should passionate us in order to walk in a certain way in a certain manner. So when we, when Jesus gives the command to go and sin no more, and then when he gives the command to go and do likewise, they are very similar commands. Or they may not seem like it. Because they're both commands to go out into the world and be, be a change, be a difference maker in the world. See, if we, can, if we can walk and go and sin no more, we're going to make a difference in the world. And if we go and do likewise, like the Good Samaritan, we're, we're going to have an impact in the world. Things are going to change. Things are going to happen because we not only accept the message of go and sin no more, and to go and do likewise, that we really can be effective agents of change in this world. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, once again, to be in your presence and hear your words of life. Because that's what you speak to us. You speak words of life. There is no other place to go to that we can hear such wonderful words, such powerful words, words that impact our heart, our spirit, our soul, our mind, our will. Everything that makes us us, your word permeates and changes. So we want to hear your words. We want to hear your heart. We want to hear your purposes and your plans. We want your will to be deposited into our will today so that we change. So that we walk differently, we speak differently, we think differently, we act differently, and we even feel differently. So I ask again that you would empty me of me. That you would remove every obstacle in the way of delivering your word. I want all of us to hear your words this morning. And we desire to hear your voice only. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I can start my timer. Right, that was that, was, that didn't count. Just want to give you a few bullet points of the past two weeks, so that we, we we kind of know where we are. We said that accusation was the currency of the enemy; that he loves to spend it, accusing us, bringing up our past. You know. Uh, constantly trying to remind us of untruths about us. So, you know, accusation is a currency of the enemy. And when the accusations start to fly, when they start to to, to whiz at us, that the enemy throws at us, who do we see? Who do we see? Do we see the enemy, or do we see Jesus? What is our focal point? What are we, whose words are we believing? Are we believing the enemy's words, or are we believing... The Master's words. Important Important thing to remember. And to look at Jesus as someone to cast the first stone is to have a warped idea of who God is. See, I think sometimes in our walk, we almost expect Jesus is going to... He is poised to throw the first stone. And maybe even sometimes we want Him to because we feel guilty. and We think that's what we deserve. See, this is a warped idea of who God is. God does not condemn us. He's here to save us. And the power of the enemy is the lie. And if we remove the lie, we can remove the power of the enemy over our, our, over our lives. And we've already said this, that Jesus is not here to condemn us. He's here to free us. And one of the last points we made is that our identity is in not in what we were, but who we are in Christ. Our identity is not who we were, who the enemy wants to try to remind us of what we were like. Our identity is in Christ. And that gives us the power to change and to walk without sin. Now, how many people did their homework? You had extra time to do your homework, to read chapter 8. Right? wrote it. You don't have to raise your hands, but I only see one hand, besides mine. I had to read it because, you know, I had to preach on it. But I, I, I love this chapter. So, if you didn't do your homework, that's okay, because I have notes. So, if you would turn to John chapter 8. I'm going to really try to stay on my notes today, because these, these points are really, just huge. I promised you, if you read chapter 8, that you're going to see what I'm about to share. That it was so plain, that it was so, I think, obvious, that that it was really going to speak to you. So I encourage you to, over the course of the, of the next few days, that you would really read chapter eight, over and over again, over again, because we want to cement this whole this whole idea. This so. We want to know without a shadow of a doubt that we can actually go and sin no more. That, is, that it is not only possible, but it is the default state of a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Okay? This, is, this is We have been empowered to do this. Okay? And we, 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 we've, got to get, we've got to get past every accusation, every lie, everything that the enemy tries to derail our faith. We've got to get past that. Because there's a world out there that needs the gospel. And if, we, and if we remain in, uh, in a state that is unsure of its own salvation, in this sense, we're going to be ineffective in the world. Jesus makes some huge, bold proclamations throughout chapter eight. Things that just, if you if you take them just in themselves, they will rock your world. If you if you just center on these bold statements, and there are seven of them, uh, and I want to go through them one by one because I think they they really. Help cement this whole idea that we can actually uh, go and sin no more, and we actually can go and do likewise. How how well they fit; these two commands fit together. Okay, okay. The first bold statement that Jesus made—we touched on this the last time I talked about it. Jesus says in verse twelve. Let's read it. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world." That's statement number one. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life, if I could pronounce it. The light of life. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying something huge here. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. The word darkness here means dark without light. But it also means to be walking obscurity. The Feast of the Tabernacles has just ended. They have four great lights that illuminate the feast. They're great big fires, basically. At the end of the feast, which has just ended, they extinguish those lights. It's all out. And those four lights are called the light of the world during this Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus waits until they are there and extinguishes. And then he makes this statement. He says, that's not the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And my light is never extinguished. And those who walk in my light, and that word walk means attach yourself to someone. Those who walk in that light, who follow me in that light, will never walk in darkness. You will never walk in obscurity. You will always be known. See, not only are you not, not just walking in a, in a place that is well lit, you are walking in a place where I know you. See how relational this is. Remember, God does everything in relationship. You know, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I want to provide an opportunity for you to see where you're going. Because when you see where you're going, you can avoid sin. You can watch out for the traps of sin. You can watch out for the things that the enemy would throw out for you. You can see the accusations coming a lot clearer if they're coming in the light. And I know you. Not only, you're not hidden anymore. You're not obscured anymore. You're, You're not in the dark anymore. You're in my light and I know you. This is powerfully relational. Jesus is starting to to unravel this, this, this plan of how you can walk and, and not sin anymore. We come out of the darkness exposed, but we come out redeemed. we come out revealed, but restored. His light brings life. But you will have the light of life. His light brings life and walking in the light helps us recognize sin and then walk away from it. Okay, big bold proclamation number 2 in verse 19. If you know me, you know the Father. That's the statement. Verse 19. And they said to him, "Therefore where is your Father?" And Jesus answered, "You know neither me or my Father. Because if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus is establishing a real entry point into this this whole concept of being able to go and sin no more. And he says it has everything to do with the Father. See, if you know me, if you know my ways, my purposes, the reason why I was sent, you would understand the Father's heart towards you. And the Father's heart to you is for redemption, for restoration, for freedom. See, if you, if you know me, then you understand why I'm here, He's saying to these people. You know, why I am the Messiah. He is starting to reveal things to, to this crowd. These Pharisees and these scribes, that are still after them. They want somebody to throw a stone at. And at several times, they try to in this chapter. They want to condemn someone. But Jesus is saying, he is, I love Jesus so much. He is still trying to get these guys to understand the truth. It's beautiful. All these people, all they want to do is condemn him. and He's trying to get them to understand. Man, know me. You'll know the Father. you know why I'm here. And we don't have to have these arguments anymore. (laughs) You could be free. Knowing Jesus reveals the Father. His purpose, His message, His plan. And knowing Him helps us know who we are understanding our identity in Christ, and understanding our roles as sons and daughters helps us walk in freedom from sin. It's all about relationship. If you know the Father, you'll know me. If you know me, you'll know the Father. It's just a beautiful, beautiful equation. Romans eight, fifteen to 16 says this, But you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you have received the Spirit of Sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. This verse is saying it, it is it is complimenting this thing if you are no longer slaves to anything, God will make you free. If you know me, you'll know the Father. And if you know me, that means we're in relationship with one another. And if you're in relationship with me, you must be a son and daughter of the Most High. This is what Jesus is is trying to invite and state here at this purpose. I am the Father's Son, and you can be children of God too. Here's the message. No longer slaves. Knowing God frees us. Okay, big, bold statement number three in verse 23. He says, I am not of this world. Verse twenty-three. He said to them, "You are from below; I am from above. You are of this world; I am not of this world." What does this have to do with go and sin no more? I think Jesus is starting to reveal his divinity here. You know, he's he's telling them, "You know what? I, I, I am not of this world." You. You might think I am. You might think that Joseph is my dad, and he is. He's my earthly dad. But there's a bigger thing going on here. There's a bigger deal going on here. The word for world here, the Greek word for world here, is cosmos. And it actually means uh, the terra firma, the, the planet that we walk on. But what it also means is a system, a way of doing things. Jesus says, I am above the way this world does things. I am above the sin that this world creates. I am above it all. And if I'm above it all, that means I have all authority, I have all sovereignty over it, and do you not think that I can make it possible for you to go and sin no more? If I'm above it all, if I'm above sin itself, because my, my, my sacrifice on the cross cleanses you from all of that, am I not able to help you go and sin no more? If I'm above the world's system. If I'm above the world's kingdom. This is a huge statement here about the sovereignty and divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings a kingdom perspective to freedom. John 3, 31 says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Someone who is above the world system can free us from that system and empower us to go and sin no more. Statement number 4. Verse 28, he says, I am under authority. Let's read it. So Jesus said to him, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you would know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. That is pretty huge, just in itself. And we could probably speak for a few weeks, do a sermon series just on that as a father taught me that Jesus was instructed. Jesus was trained. And he was under authority. Jesus states that he moves under his father's authority and that his father's words, his father's actions, everything everything that he sees his father do, he has he will is doing and will do on the earth. If we want freedom to go and sin no more, we need to be under the same authority and become more and more teachable. I just heard a uh, I, John Bevere. You ever heard of that, that pastor? He wrote a lot of great books. Really appreciate his teachings. And uh, he has a new book out called Kryptonite, which I just ordered. And it's, it's yeah, it's really, it's really, sounds really interesting. And since I bought the book early, I got a couple of freebies, and one of the freebies was a was a teaching on about uh, breaking the power of sin. So this next part is from John. I adapted it to to, to my wording and to, to my thinking, but this is really John's heart here, you know, John, did what he got from the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to give, I don't want to take any credit for me. But I want to give John the credit, even though he'll never listen to my teaching, I'm sure. But I want to I want to make sure that that you know that this next this part is from him because I thought the verse that he used fit so beautifully with what we've been doing. Uh, It was amazing what it what it just uh, did for my heart this morning. uh, This week, sorry, it did it this morning too, but it was you know we'll talk about this week. Uh, Titus two, eleven through twelve. When you think about Jesus said. This, I do nothing under my own authority but speak just as the Father has taught me. These verses in Titus are huge for us. Okay, Titus 2 11 through 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. We could stop there and praise God for a long time on just that verse alone. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I'm going to read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What is this passage saying to us? Is it saying that we can go and sin no more? Isn't it? Isn't it really saying the same thing? But it's giving us a, a, a plan here, right? It is giving us, a, you know, God has not left us alone in this battle. We have to become more teachable. He's willing, by His grace, to train us to renounce, which is huge. We know that sin has huge consequences. It leads to a hard heart. It it has it makes us lose intimacy with the Father. You know, the sin is awful. Sin is a poison. God wants us to walk away from this. <laughs> he wants us to be free from this. He wants us to, to be able to, to go and and sin less in the world. To go and sin no more. To walk in such a way that we walk a whole lot differently than the day we did before. That there's always a progress. That there's always movement. That there's always going forward. His great grace trains us to renounce. That word renounce means to deny, to refuse, to reject, to turn away. That's powerful. That's powerful right there. He wants us to turn away from this, to refuse. To to deny a life of slavery, to live a life of outrageous freedom, to live outright, or to to live a life of self-control. One of those, one of the meanings of that word, self-control, means to have a sound mind, able to think clearly, able to reason, able to understand what is right and wrong. And able to decide which way to walk. See, God is interested in every aspect of our of who we are. And He wants us to be able to think clearly, to have a mind that understands His Word, understands His ways, and is able to discern, able to reason, that, hey, that, that's not a good way for me to walk. That's not a good thing for me to do. I, I need to walk another way. I need to go talk to someone that can help give me counsel. i got to go to the Word and understand it better. So I, we need to be trained. And He wants to train our mind to have self-control. It's powerful. One of the scriptures I can't, but it is in Psalms that, that he uh, who has self-control is like one who who could control a city. You know, to, to be in charge of a city would take a lot of self-control. That is not about your your interests; it's it's, it's it's about the people's interest, the best interest for the people. And the, this is powerful. Self-control is huge in this. And to live a life that of uprightness. basically means that you're agreeable to live right. That this agrees with you. That you accept this. That you understand that this is the best thing for you. You're agreeable to it. You don't fight against it. You go along with it. You surrender to it. Because you know and because you want to be trained. And you know training is the best thing for you. And if I'm going to be able to renounce, which renouncing basically is saying to this, you no longer have a claim on me. You no longer have power over me. I renounce you. And see, if we want to go and sin no more, we've got to be really good at renouncing. And realizing that we have this great power in us to renounce things, to say to the enemy, you no longer have a claim on me. I have been bought with a price. I belong with, to someone else. He has the only claim on me. Amen? Romans 6.6 6. We know that our old, old simple selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power. That word for power there means to be destroyed and rendered useless. We know that our old old simple ways were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power, be destroyed, rendered useless in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And that phrase no longer means no further or ever again. No further. We don't walk any further in slavery. It stops right here. It's done. I never take another step as a slave again. That's what that verse says. We are powerful. Okay, we are powerful in Christ Jesus. We need to walk in this power. If we really want to walk in sin no more and not be tempted, well, we're going to be tempted, but not yield to the temptation of sin. We got to understand the power that we have available to us. Because when it says. No longer, God means no longer. Not anymore. This is what I want for you, my sons and daughters. I want you to understand that sin's power over you has been destroyed. See, dying on the cross and rising from the dead did that. It no longer has power unless we give it. Let's not give it power anymore. Don't you want a life like that? Don't you want to be free like that? I do. I, 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 don't, I don't want to accept what the enemy throws at me anymore. I don't, I don't want to give the ammunition to the enemy to throw at me anymore. Jesus is not here to condemn us. He's here to free us. And He only has freed us. We need, we really need to understand this. We really, 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 really do. I do. Alright, number five. Statement number five. Jesus says, "I" in verse 29. I am not alone, and I please the Father. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Verse 30 says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Again, everything that God does is through relationship and even the battle against sin or the effects of sin or the temptation of sin. God is in the battle with us. He will not leave us as orphans. And He does not expect His sons and daughters to act like slaves in that battle. He expects them to act like sons and daughters in that battle knowing that they are not alone that God is with them. Sometimes we back down from a fight with the enemy because we feel all alone. And we need to remember who is with that, with us in that battle. God is with us. Jesus needed that reassurance. He states it. And when He makes these things, He says, as He was saying these things, the light bulbs came on in people. That means the way you walk through your life The difficulties, the hardships, the pains, the sorrows, the sicknesses. How we walk through this life, if we can show a picture that God is with us, people are going to notice and people are going to believe. That's why the two commands are huge together. Go and sin no more and go and do likewise. See how together they are? when we live our faith out the best that we can, as closely connected to God as we can, as, as we, we just understand our, what our roles are as sons and daughters, but as we can show that we know that God is with us through that. That's when people really notice. It's huge. I love that God does everything through relationship. I absolutely love that. And I love the fact that He takes delight in us. Psalm one forty nine, four says this for the Lord takes pleasure, and that word pleasure means sets his affection on. He improves and he delights. The Lord takes pleasure in his people and he adores them, adorns them, the, the humble with salvation. Colossians 1 says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our goal is to please the Father, just like Jesus. That was his goal, to please the Father, to do the will of the Father. But not to earn his love. But just to show how much we love him. Jesus' goal is because he loved the Father. And so He wanted to please Father. We get service to God mixed up sometimes. And we think that, okay, if I want to keep the stones of accusation from flying at me, I better get busy and do God's stuff because then God will be pleased with me and I'll be protected. That is having a warped understanding of who God is. Okay, We serve Him because we love Him. Just like our, our older brother Jesus here. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Okay, number six. Verses 31 to 38. This is a long passage I'm going to read But he says two statements in here. He says, I am truth and I am freedom. So Jesus said to the Jews that had believed Him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and never have been enslaved to anyone. Pause. Is this a true statement? We've never been enslaved to anyone. They are enslaved right now in this passage. They are under Roman law and rule. Sometimes we don't know we're captive, or we deny that we're captive. We don't. We don't want to be that way. <laughs> Unpause. How is it that you say that you will become free? And Jesus answers them truly. Truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave. Another pause. See, if you practice sin, you're going to be a slave. What is the opposite of that point? If you don't practice sin, guess what? You're not a slave. Jesus is saying, here's one way to go and sin no more. Don't practice sin. Don't be good at it. Don't make that your lifestyle. Because if you do, you become a slave to it. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. This is really getting good here. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham and yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Another pause. Listen to that phrase. Because my word finds no place in you. My word doesn't have an entry point in your heart. You are keeping my word from yourself. This is, he is pointing out their hearts to them, saying, You're not, we're arguing about semantics here. We're we're arguing about nonsense here. I'm after your heart. Will you listen to my words so they find a place in you so that you can go and sin no more? Because my words bring life. And if I set you free, you are free. I speak of what I've seen with my father again. He's doing. He's just being like daddy here. I just love this. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you heard from your father. Well, if Jesus said that to me, I think I I, I just might want to repent. He is pointing out whose heart, who has their heart. The enemy has their heart. Satan has their heart. Saying, you're, the way you're speaking right now, you're speaking just like your daddy. And that's why my words have no place. They find no place in you. Because you're not here to, to receive. You're You're here to try to take something from me. It's huge. Let's take this whole passage apart. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. That word abide means to remain, to stay, and to stand on it. He says, if you abide in my word, if you stay in it, if you stand in it, you remain in it. This, 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 is, this, uh, these, this word implies a commitment on a deep level. If you do that, you are truly my disciples. Truly my disciples. A disciple was a student, a follower, a committed learner. And here's the, the beautiful definition of this. Someone who attaches themselves to someone. So if I became a disciple of someone, I would attach myself to them. Everywhere they went, I would go. Everything that they taught, I would believe. Everything that they asked me to do, I would do. Every place they asked me to go, I would go. And if they told me to stay, I would stay. If they told me to go, I would go. I would attach myself to them. My life would be hidden in theirs. This is what a disciple is. What I love about this is, this whole concept here is this, the, the, the concept of disciple is taking on a larger meaning because he's no longer, Jesus is saying, you no longer need, and he's still here, he said, but you no longer need my physical form to, to be my disciple. All you need is my word. See, if you abide in my words and the things that I'm going to teach you, you are truly my disciple. See, the whole concept of, of a disciple is that you would remain with someone for, for the rest of their lives. So, you, know, you would always be in contact with them physically. Jesus says, because he knows what's coming, he's saying, all you have to do to be my disciple is remain in my words. See, my words, if they find a place in you, you are truly my disciple. This is really huge here. Because this is what gives us the power to go and sin no more. His words being His disciple, being taught by His Word. This is what gives us the wisdom, the understanding, the strategy, everything that we need to walk in such a way that we can go and sin no more. This is really huge. Verse 34 again, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave. And I think this raises a question. A slave is someone that gives himself up for another's will. And so the question is, Jesus is saying, you know, who is your master, and who are you giving your heart to? Who is your master, and who are you giving your heart to? Because we're, what we're really saying is, when we become a slave to sin, when we, we're allowing people to condemn us, we're actually giving permission. We're actually giving them legal right to do so. And he goes on to say, about relationships, he says, you know what? A slave doesn't stay in the the master's house, but a son does. A son remains in the father's house because he accepts the father's will, the father's purpose, the father's identity, and he can remain forever. This is really beautiful, powerful stuff. And I love the question that they ask. How is it that you say that you will become free? And Jesus has the most beautiful answer of the world. It says, If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. The first word free here means to liberate. To be exempt from moral, ceremonial, or mortal liability. Exempt from moral ceremonial which would speak to the Jewish people or mortal liability. And then the second word for free means one who ceases to be a slave. Someone who can come and go as they please. That sounds like freedom to me. That we can come and go as we please. That we don't take any more steps as a slave. Free sons and daughters believe the words of their fathers over the words of the enemy. His words need to find a place in us. All right. Number seven. When God's your father, loving isn't an issue. Verses 42 to 43. Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And he answers his own question. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I never want to hear Jesus say that to me. But I love the heart of Jesus that he goes on to, to talk about their, their father. But Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There is a level of freedom that comes from knowing who your father is and knowing that God is our father. There is a level of freedom that we, I don't think we quite get yet that as we know the Father more, more freedom comes. And more love we have for the Messiah. More love we have for the Holy Spirit in us. And that we not only can bear to hear His words, we want to hear His words. We desire to hear His words. We hunger to hear His words. Because they are words of life. And it's not about the law. It's about love. Everything God does is through relationship. He wants us to obey His commandments because it's the best way for us to live. Not because He's some huge dictator, some huge boss, some here guy with a big stick. It's because He loves us. And He knows when we live according to His ways and His design, we walk in freedom. And we find the power to walk and sin. No more. One last verse. I hope that you would go and you, you'll read this chapter again and again over the course of the next few days. There's a lot more in it and I'm just going to wrap up with this. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 It says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse says that we can cast sin off of us. That we can, we can ditch the weight of sin off of us. And then he gives us a beautiful answer of how we can in verse 2. How can we rid ourselves of sin? He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can cast off every sin. Everything that ch- tries to trip us up. Because we look to Jesus. The word founder means chief leader. It means that he is the author. That he is the captain. And that he is the prince. That has come to set us free. Jer- Jesus wants these words to find a place in our hearts. That we believe the words of our advocate over the words of the accuser. This is what I really believe. Free sons and daughters, this is our default state. To be able to walk this way. Let us not be afraid of being powerful. Let us walk in the freedom that God has for us.